been fun and been glorious and been really interesting to go through the book of Matthew. And today we come to one of the most familiar stories in the scripture. People talk about it a lot, where Jesus walks, walks on the water. So let's look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 14. And just to remind you what has happened just previously, is he fed the 5,000, as we talked about last week. I mean, thousands and thousands, 5,000 men, thousands of women and children, fed them all with one small lunch had 12 baskets left over. In terms of scope and scale and size, the disciples would never see uh, a, a miracle, had never seen a miracle of that much scope and size and, and would never see it again as, as far as we can tell in the scripture. That was massive. That's like feeding a ballpark full of people with one small lunch. And how long it must have taken the disciples to have everybody sit down and keep passing it out and keep passing it out. And, and they got to have more and more. Not unlike our donuts, they didn't ever run out. They kept having more and more food until there were 12 baskets left over. So I'm sure the disciples were exhausted physically. Serving people wears you out. It is tiresome. And they were being servants and they were doing what Jesus told them to do. And doing the work of the church is tiresome. It wears you out. There are things you have to do. You have to take care of the children in in nursery. You have to take care of the building. We have to go door to door sometimes and distribute information about our church. We have big events like we're having October 1st. There's a lot of work to do with that. Things like bringing out the trash cans, making sure the trash is empty during the day at the event, making sure the chairs are set up, making sure everything's broken down. It's a tiresome thing. And no doubt, just the day-to-day ministry with Jesus had become tiresome for some of these disciples. But certainly, the experience they had feeding those 5,000 men plus women and children. And after that, it says immediately, verse 22... He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So Jesus told the disciples, you go ahead and get in the boat. I'll wrap up here. I'll, dis- I'll disperse the crowds. They've eaten. They've been fed. They've heard the word. It's time for them to go. I'll disperse the crowds. But you go ahead. You, you go on. And I, he, he's caring for them. He's sending them on. And he says to them, I'll disperse the crowds. But then he went up by himself on a mountain to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Uh, Folks, we could could really camp right here and understand that Jesus in his humanity, even though he was God in the form of a man, in his humanity, he also became tired and weary. We know we carried the cross. He fell and couldn't carry it under the weight after being beaten the way he was. So He understood what it was like to be a a human being and feel exhaustion and be weary. And he also needed to commune with the Father. He he had spread so much of himself that day in so many ways, teaching not only the disciples but thousands of people and speaking, no doubt, with a very loud voice for a very long period of time. And he was physically tired and certainly spiritually needed to connect with the Father So he gets away by himself to pray, even away from the disciples. He just needs some time alone to pray. Sometimes if we really don't want to be alone, we don't like that feeling, we need to look down inside and ask, where is that insecurity coming from? Because you're really not alone. (laughs) If there's no one around you and you're in isolation, it's a wonderful time to commune with the Father, to be with Him. And so think about that just a little bit. And sometimes on occasion, 
We don't want to be alone because we want to think about our life. We don't want to think about our failures. We don't want to think about our sin. And if we stay busy and stay active and stay loud, we don't have to think about any of that. But here Jesus looks forward to those times to get away and be alone with the Father by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24 But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So this is what happens. You you go through maybe the most amazing experience, one of the most amazing experiences, without a doubt, one of the most amazing experiences these 12 disciples have ever had in feeding of the 5,000. As I said, just the scope of it. I mean, any miracle is a miracle, but this one was a big miracle. This was a big-time miracle in terms of the number of people involved. And the disciples, you know, they, 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 they were overwhelmed by the need, right? Jesus turned to Philip and said, where are you going to find food for all of these people to eat? And Philip said, it's not possible. What are we going to do? And the disciples' plan was pretty simple. Just send the crowds away. Get rid of them. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to send them away. Have them sit down. Far from moving them away, get it, let them get comfortable. Let them settle in. I brought them here, and I'll feed them. He takes that lunch, and he blesses it, and he keeps passing it out and passing it out, and the disciples keep feeding and feeding it. Just the distance they would have to walk to feed that many people and come back and get more food and feed that many people, on and on. And I'm sure by the time they were over, they were exhausted. But not only were they exhausted, it was a good exhaustion. I don't know if you've ever been to camp as a teenager, Bible camp or Christian camp. You come back exhausted, or as a worker, you come back exhausted. But you come back on a high, a spiritual high. It's like this has been an amazing experience. And no doubt as the disciples got in the boat, no doubt if they weren't talking about it verbally, they were looking at each other just amazed at what had happened and, and that they participated in it. It must have been the most joyful, amazing experiences of their life. And so right after that, what you would call a huge mountaintop experience, for some reason they don't fully understand Jesus is away from them now. I, I, it's like, wait a minute. A moment ago we were with him and, and he was with us and we were doing what he told us and this, we participated in this amazing miracle of tremendous size and now he's not here. Where, where is he? We don't see him. He's not with us. All of a sudden, not only is he not with them, but the wind is against them. Do you ever feel like the wind's against you? Bob Seeger, against the wind? Do you ever feel like you're always running against the wind? Like you got the, you got the headwinds on you, not to your back? And the scripture says here, they, they, they moved immediately from a time of tremendous victory to a time of being alone without Christ physically. He wasn't there with them. And then the wind was against them. And the storm was strong. And the waves were battering the boat. And they were afraid. And then in the fourth watch of the night, that means the the last watch, right before dawn, they they spent the whole night out there on the lake in a storm with the wind against them and Jesus nowhere in their mind, in their view, to be found. Anybody like that here today? Anybody look back on your life and say, there was a great experience I had spiritually, but that was some time ago or maybe recently, but now, today, this week, this month, right now, 
These are headwinds I didn't expect. These are waves I can't imagine. And I don't really feel the presence of Jesus like I did just a short while ago. And it's dark. And it's staying dark. And the wind is still strong. And I'm holding on to this boat for dear life. And Jesus doesn't appear to be anywhere. And yet I'm trying to do what he's told me to do. Remember, the disciples are not caught up in a storm against the headwinds because they disobeyed Jesus. They're caught up in the storm against headwinds because they obeyed Jesus. And if you think becoming a follower of Christ, if you think committing your life to him and being obedient to him means you'll never be in darkness, you'll never be in a storm, you'll never have headwinds, you are completely wrong. Sometimes he sends you to those places for a specific reason and a specific season. But in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them. And he was walking on the surface of the sea. Now, they'd been fishermen, many of them, their entire life. Probably their fathers and grandfathers. They'd been through some storms, but they'd never seen anybody walk on the surface of the sea. And they were terrified. Can, can you see, the, can you see the, the progression downward here? From a mountaintop experience of feeding thousands of people to being pushed out by Jesus to go out on your own, to be in a boat in the middle of a storm, to have strong winds against you, to go hour after hour after hour into the night. And now there's this, there's this being, this, this figure who's a ghost, obviously. It can't be a man. It's some kind of a ghost walking on the water. And the scripture says they were terrified at that moment. Life is frightening. You watch the news. You follow your social media, you hear about all the events, you think about all the diseases you can get, think about all the tragedy that can happen to you and happen to your children, happen to people you love. If you're not careful, you can just live in a total state of anxiety all the time and completely frightened all the time because this world is a broken, distraught, sinful world full of sin, full of corruption, full of pain, full of sorrow, full of death, full of suffering, and it can be a frightening place. And in very real sense, Jesus understood that not every day that these disciples were going to, listen to me, not every day that they were going to live after he went to heaven was going to be a day like they had feeding 5,000 people. That there were going to be a lot of days in a boat, in a storm, with against the headwinds in the dark. That's the nature of life on this earth until Jesus comes again or until we go to be with him. And I think Jesus very much wanted them to experience that so they would know this glorious and wonderful truth. He always knows where they are. He always has it all in control. And even though they may not feel in control, even though they may not be able to see him, he always knows where they are. And he's never late. And he always arrives just on time. That's true to their life. It's true in your life and my life. He comes to them. He's walking on the water. They're terrified. And cried out in fear. But immediately, verse 27, Jesus says, just take heart. Don't be afraid. It's me. And it was Peter who said, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. And in verse 29, he said to Peter, come on. So Peter, in the midst of a storm, in the middle of the night, steps over the side of the boat and he begins to walk on the water to Jesus. Now get that moment in your mind. 
Here are the other disciples. They're holding on for dear life in the boat. They just, that's the only life saving they have is the boat. If it's not for the boat, they're going to be dead. And so they're not, until Jesus arrived as a, as on the water, they, they weren't sure that they were going to survive anyway. They were terrified. But here they're hanging on the boat in the middle of the storm. And, and, I, and, and there's a hold on to that boat. It's, it's the only thing they've got between them and death. And they want to hold on to it tightly. Even though they really aren't in control, it gives them some feeling of being in control, right? <laughs> I mean, if that boat's going to tip, it's going to tip. If it's going to sink, it's going to sink. It's going to be overwhelmed by a wave. It's going to be overwhelmed by a wave. There's really nothing they can do about it. But they try to hold on and try to stay afloat. But what happens here? All of a sudden, Peter sees Jesus. And the storm goes away and the fear goes away. And all Peter wants is to be with Jesus. And he says, if it's you, bid me come to you. And Jesus says, well, come on. And immediately, without thinking about it, without processing it, Peter just gets out of the boat, steps over the side, onto the water, and starts to walk toward Jesus. Now, here's the deal. About anything you want to do will work in the boat. You can sit down in the boat. You can stand up in the boat. You can sing in the boat. You can run around in the boat. You can have a committee meeting in the boat. You can do whatever you want in the boat. But the only thing that will work when you're outside of the boat is what Jesus does. And so a lot of times in our life, we don't ever want to step outside of the boat. We want to always be where we think we can control it, we can manage it, we can handle it. And it's very well that Jesus is calling you to do something over and above and beyond anything you've ever done or thought you could do before. You want to teach children. You want, to, you want to get into his word. You want to give sacrificially to some ministry or some people who need help and money. And you've never done that before and you don't know how to work. But, but you hear Jesus telling you, you know in your heart you should. But you're hanging on to that boat thinking that's your security. There's no security there. Amen. If that boat goes over, it goes over and you go under. But they're holding on to the boat. But immediately when Jesus said, come, Peter got out of the boat. And when you're outside the boat, the only thing that works is living by faith. And part of the problem with Christianity in North America is we don't live by faith. We live by trusting ourselves, our jobs, our money, our 401ks, our church budget, our church buildings. We just spend all of our time in the boat. Whereas if you go to other parts of the world where Christianity is exploding at an exponential rate, you can't even count it. They're living outside of the boat all the time. They don't trust in any of that because they don't have any of that. They only trust in Jesus. Jill and I heard, we've heard it so many times, but we heard just this week from Voice of the Martyrs that there are pastors who will walk 12 miles, excuse me, 12 hours, check that out, pastors who will walk in parts of the world who will walk 12 hours just to attend a conference on how to pastor, on how to teach God's word, and then walk back 12 hours in very dangerous, difficult parts of the world. That's living by faith, folks. That's stepping out of the boat. It's a whole different environment. And here's the reality. When you're in the boat, you can hang on and you can kind of do a lot of things. But when you get out of the boat, it's only what Jesus tells you to do. Now listen, this is not original with me, but you're free to use it. <laughs> Jesus didn't walk on the water. Excuse me, Peter. Peter didn't walk on the water. Peter did not walk on the water. Peter stood on the word. And the word was come. Now, the reason James and John and 
and, uh, and, and, and Matthew, the reason they didn't get out of the boat is that they didn't ask Jesus and Jesus didn't tell them to come. You don't go do something on your own merit and your own strength thinking you can do it. You get out of the boat, you live by faith, you, 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 you take that step of faith in whatever God's called you to do, and you do it based on the word you get to come, on the word from Christ that he wants you to do that, that he will give you the strength to do it. The scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I can't run a four-minute mile. I'm just, I can't. I really can't. I was on a podcast this week, and the, the, the host of the podcast, I, I just listened to it again. I, I missed this part. He asked me, we were talking about teamship. He said, Mark, are you, I mean, are, were you ever an athlete? And he put it into past tense all of a sudden there. I'm not, and I just, that went right past me. I'm not sure why he did that, but he corrected himself in mid-sentence. Mark, are you an athlete? Were you ever an athlete? So anyway, I can't, I can't run a four-minute mile. So he's like, well, I can do all things through Christ. God hasn't called me to do that. But whatever he calls me to do, he will give me the ability to do it. But if he doesn't call you to do it, don't do it. If he doesn't call you to work with children, don't work with children. If he doesn't call you to serve in some, portion, some fashion in the church, don't do it. Don't do it in your own strength. Don't do it in your own power. But trust me, if he calls you to do it, you can do things you never thought you could ever possibly do. Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on the word. I know that's kind of a phrase, but there is some definite truth there. And you know the rest of the story. As Peter steps out of that boat, he does what all of us does. This feels pretty good. I'm walking to Jesus. There's Jesus. I'm getting close to him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I'm in the world of reality here. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good kind of spiritual moment. But all of a sudden, I've got to look around and realize I'm, the, I'm at the surface of the Sea of Galilee here. and I'm going to go under and I have no way. I'm going to drown. I'm going to die. The wind is strong. The waves are strong. It's dark out here. The boat's back there. And immediately, the scripture says, he began to sink. Even when you get out of the boat, you're not going to be perfect in it. You're not going to be the perfect Sunday school teacher. You're not going to be the perfect husband or wife in Christ. You're not going to be the perfect church member. You're not going to be perfect with your quiet time every day. We are broken, messed up people. And even when we step out of the boat, even when we live by faith, even when we live on the command of Jesus, we're not going to be perfect in it. And neither was Peter. And he began to be overwhelmed by the reality of his world. Anybody been there? You had the best of intention the moment you stepped out of the boat. It seemed like a really good idea, but now you're going under. So what do you do when you go under? You do exactly, listen to me, don't miss this. You highlight this in your Bible. You do exactly what Peter did. You cry out and say, Lord, save me. You don't try to swim back to the boat on your own. You don't try to save yourself. You don't try to dog paddle. You don't try to save face with the rest of the disciples in Jesus. You just acknowledge, I've messed up, I'm going under. And if Jesus doesn't save me, I have no hope. And he hollered out and he said, Jesus, save me. In verse 31, immediately, don't lose sight of that. Jesus didn't let him founder for a moment. Jesus wasn't going to teach him a lesson. Immediately, Jesus reached down his hand and took hold of him. Peter didn't take hold of Jesus. You're not holding on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. I want you to know that this morning, all right? 
in your life as you go from this life all the way to the, to the life to come, you don't hold on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. Peter cried out and Jesus went down and took a hold of him. And saying, oh, little faith, why did you doubt? But he carried him back to the boat. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Now that's an amazing moment. They knew he was a rabbi. They knew he was a teacher. They knew he was divine. They knew he was a prophet. But this is God. Son of God means God. That means the man in the boat with them is the man who spoke the world into being. The man in the boat with them is the man who created the Sea of Galilee. That's who's in the boat with them. And they worshiped him. When you really realize who God is, you're going to worship him. If you're not worshiping God, you don't know who God is. But let me give you, I don't do these very often, but let me give you these four little thoughts to remember about you and me in the boat. What's a requisite for getting out of the boat? And the boat is what? Well, the boat is the boat of sickening sameness, where you're just on this sea of life and you're just holding on for dear life and nothing exciting happens in terms of, of what Christ has called you to do. You're, you're, it's just a sickening sameness. You're just in the doldrums. You're, you're, you're tired. You're worn out. You're frightened. So what's a requisite for getting out of the boat? You just jump out on your own? Absolutely not. A requisite for getting out of the boat is you cry out to Jesus and he calls you out. You start out by looking to him and seeking him and calling him and you get a word from him. That's the requisite. You don't get out on your own merit. You don't get out on your own desire. You seek what God wants you to do. You want to rephrase that? Look at what Henry Blackaby says. You find out where God is at work in the world, in your neighborhood, in your family, and you do what? You join him in it. You don't decide to go do it for him. And even if you want to take that down to what we do here at Linwood, we try to see where God's at work all around us and join him in activity. I mean, frankly, the things we attempt to do here are way above. We're, we're, listen, we're, we're fighting way above our weight grade here at this church. I mean, the things that, I'm not bragging on y'all, but the things we try to do to impact this community in a church our size, that's risky to some people. It, it, it feels like maybe it's not even wise. How do you, what are you trying to do all of these things for in such a scale like this? Because we believe with all of our heart, Jesus called us to come to this place to make an impact, to make a difference, to let people know they're loved, to let them know there's hope in this world. And we believe we've heard from him. And we're stepping out of the boat of sickening sameness, not on our own desire and own merit, because we really believe God's called us to do that. So a requisite for getting out of the boat is hearing a word from God. And if you haven't heard a word from the Lord, you know, I was with, and I think he'll be here maybe uh, October 16th. There's a man named Bob Payne who's worked with Henry Blackaby as long as anybody. And Bob travels all over the world, really the most difficult places in the world, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, places you're not supposed to go, and teaches Bible studies to Christians. He's a wonderful man. I was with him a couple of weeks ago, and he just spent time with Henry, and Henry is, is not doing well physically at all, and his wife is terminally ill, and he told me he sat with Henry, and Henry looked at him, and Henry asked him the question he's asked so many of us. What has God said to you today? Isn't that an amazing question? 
What has God said to you today? Henry would ask that question because basically God speaks to us all the time. We're just not listening. If you say, well, I haven't heard it from him recently. Well, it's not because he's not talking. It's not because he doesn't know who you are or where you are. He loves you with a love you can't imagine. He has an affection for you you can't imagine. I heard, we heard this week in Nashville this amazing, I've just been marinating on this. And you know what, and you and I both know it's true, but you think about it. God, you know, again, those of us who've had, had children, I don't remember which preacher said this, one of them did, one of the speakers. But, but, you know, those of us who've had children, or I remember even my parents before they passed away, God love them, they both couldn't hear either each other. They had no hearing to speak of all. And so I would be in the car with them, and they would both be talking to me at the same time in two different conversations, right? So my mother would be saying one thing, my father another. They couldn't hear each other, and they didn't. And so I was trying to answer both of them. Or we'd be in their house, and my mother would be talking to me, and my dad. I said, I can't listen to both of you at one time. Or if you have children, they're all talking at the same time. But let me tell you something about God. There could be millions and millions and millions and tens of millions and billions of believers in every language, tribe, tongue that can be speaking to God at one time, and he hears every syllable every one of us says with complete clarity. The God of the universe hears you. Every time you speak, he hears you. If you're his child, by faith in Jesus Christ. And he speaks to us. You say, well, does God speak to us? Well, of course he does. Did he call you to become a Christian? Where do you think that came from? He spoke to you. Did he call you to be baptized? Where do you think that came from? He spoke to you. Do you feel conviction in your heart when you sin? Of course you do. He speaks to you. When you read the psalm or you read some scripture and your heart begins to swell with love and affection for God and all that he's done, he's speaking to you. You get a word from Jesus. That's where this whole thing starts. And sometimes we just want to jump ahead and go ahead and get out of the boat because other people have gotten out of the boat. We're tired of the boat. So let's just, no, get a word from God. What did God say to you today? If someone were to ask you that question, how would you answer like most of us, you'd probably say, I don't know. Daily, listen to him. That's a requisite for getting out of the boat. What's the reason to get out of the boat? Well, you get to leave the boat. And the boat's a pretty boring place. The boat's a pretty frightening place. The boat's a pretty crowded place. And like I said, you can kind of hang on to the boat and about anything you want. To, look, I work with dying churches every day of my life. And dying churches never want to get out of the boat. <laughs> we say, God's got a plan for your church. Jesus has a plan for your church. Now, if you just took it, look at Linwood, and when we came here in May of 2020, and the three or four remaining members met with Al and myself and Jill, and it was like, you know, what's it going to look like? I don't know what it's going to look like, but you're going to just have to trust, and it, it's... it's it, it, how much is it going to cost? I don't know how much is it going to cost. Where are the people going to come from? I don't know where the people are going to come from. And so many times, churches that are in that kind of situation say, well, unless we know those things, we can't move ahead. Because here's what we do know. We could sell this property. We could get a certain amount of money for it. We could distribute it to some different ministries. We can do that. So let's do what we know we can do rather than maybe do something we don't know how it's going to end up. So what's the reason to get out of the boat? Is you get to experience life by faith. I'm sure if you talk to Ron and to Gwen this morning, 
You'd say, what would you rather have done? Would you rather have sold this building and given the money to some ministries or two and a half years later sit here and see what God has done that none of us thought we could do? You get to leave the boat of sickening sameness. You get to walk into a church and people say, wow, what's going on here? And you say, God has done this. Rather than walk into a church that's dying that we have done it. And that's true in your family, it's true in your marriage, it's true with your finances. If you just try to do it all on your own, but listen, you get a word from God, you live by faith, you get to step out of the boat, you get to live by faith. Some of you in this room could talk to me about living by faith. Missionaries around the world could talk to you about living by faith. I've got to hurry. Not only is it a reason to get out of the boat, what's the reward for getting out of the boat? You get to see Jesus closer. You get to have intimate time with him. That's the reward. You get to be closer to Christ. He is the reward. Listen, God's the reward. What's life all about? It's about God. It's about Him. What's the greatest gift we could get? It's not just eternal life. What is eternal life if we're just hanging on like a fish in a bowl day after day after day after day with no purpose or need? The greatest thing about eternal life is we get to glorify God forever. We get to be around him forever in all of his glory and all of his joy and all of his happiness. It's more than you can imagine. He says, I want you to come and share in that. And when we step out of the boat and we get a word from God and we live by faith, we live closer to God. We live closer to Jesus. We live in a sweeter communion. His life means more. And it means more even when you have the greatest tragedies. Every American will either be, their family will either be affected by cancer or by addiction. Every American your family or your immediate friends will either be affected by cancer or by addiction or by both. This is a tough world. This is a painful world. I mean, you can, you can go to the races, and I'm glad you did. And go back today. That's great. You can watch the Chiefs. I'm glad you do. Watch them have a great time today. You can go to car shows. Great. I love car shows. I love next week, if the Lord allows, I'm going to an insulator, telephone insulator show in Lawrence. I can hardly wait. I mean, seriously, I can't wait to go. I've already know what I'm looking for. I know what I want. It's, it's fine to love those things in the world. It's fine. But when, when, when something comes along and the person I love most in the world has cancer and it's going to be a slow, painful death, all the insulators in the world won't matter. All the Super Bowls by the Chiefs won't matter. All that matters is that Christ is my hope in life and death. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. And this wicked, sinful world is just but a vapor. And one day we're going to be with him forever. That's my hope. That's the reward for getting out of the boat. Oh, that's the reason for getting out of the boat. I already, you already beat me to the last R. What's the reward for getting out of the boat? You get to fail. Yeah, think about that. Some, one of the reasons most of us stay in the boat is we're afraid of failure. Oh, I could never do that. No, you couldn't. Jesus can yeah, but what if I fail? Don't worry. He's got that covered too. He's fine. He's pretty good at saving lives. He saved yours. He'll keep saving it. And the reality is that Peter learned a really important lesson that day. Even his failure isn't failure because he even got to be closer to Jesus. Listen to me. Listen to me. He got to be closer to Jesus in failure than the disciples and it did in not failing. Did you check me out on that? He got to be closer to Jesus in his failure than the disciples. And listen, through his failure... He glorified God because Jesus carried him back to the boat. And when they got in the boat, they all worshiped. It's, it's, they saw what Jesus did to Peter and they glorified God. Don't be afraid of failure. There is no failure. He's got a hold of you. 
If you start to go under, he'll pull you up. He's not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be, there's no, he's never going to leave you or forsake you. His grace really is sufficient for whatever comes your way. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God will with the temptation provide a way out so that you'll be able to escape it. You don't have to live in constant fear of sin. You don't have to live in constant fear of death. You don't have to live in constant fear of failure. Because he's already succeeded in every way. And his success is granted to us. And if we stumble and fall, he'll pick us up and clean us up and call us his own. Requisite is the word from God. The reason is you get to close to Jesus and leave the boat of sickening's aimness. The reward is you get to see Christ face to face. And you get to know that failure is not final when you know Jesus. At the end of the day, a life that seeks to follow Christ is a life that is a life about worship. That's what they did when they got back into the boat. They worshiped. You know, I think what's really missing in a lot of our individual lives, what's missing much of the corporate church life is true worship. Because it's worship of God that makes us realize how glorious and how desirable he is. And the more we worship him, the more we desire him, the less we desire the things of this world. Now, we worship every day in our life. We just don't worship God. We worship ourselves, we worship our money, we worship our hope, we worship our joys, whatever it is we worship. But when you start, wor- and, and then the we, reason we live in fear and anxiety is we know all those things we worship are so fleeting. They're so temporary. We have no control over them. They may be here today, they're going to be gone tomorrow. But when you worship him, he's never going anywhere. And he's already prepared a place for you. And he'll come and receive you that where he is, you will be also. Heavenly Father, There are some in this room who have never responded to you in faith. And they are living a life that is without hope. And if they were to die right now, they would be in a hell that was absent from Christ, but full of the wrath of God. So may they be aware of that fact in a way they never have been before. And may you open their eyes and reveal to them their need of a Savior and draw them to saving faith. For those of us who are your children, Lord, may we this morning seek to cry out, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, bid me to come to you, and you will call us to you. And you'll show us how you want us to live our lives for your glory and for our joy. And some of us, Father, have gone under. We've get caught up in the cares and just concerns and trials of this world, and we've begun to sink. Or may we do what Peter did and just simply cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. And feel your arms around us just as you saved us from our sin and gave us a new life. You'll save us daily from the dread and the depression and the discouragement of this life. And Lord, may we realize that Christ is our only hope in life and death. And may we live a life in such a way that people want to worship you because they see how the relationship that we share with you in the good and the bad. You are God's son. You are our savior. You lived, you died, you rose again, and that does change everything. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.